Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Long with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome to the party. You're in good hands. 45 years in journalism between the two of us. 35 covering Houston sports. And Sean, the Rockets, I don't know another way to say this. They're a joke right now. David Thorpe, who's with TrueHoop.com, but who's also coached thousands of NBA players over the years and is well-connected in the league, called the Rockets a clown show. I'm quoting him, a clown show. They've lost 15 of 16 as we're doing this Monday. I'm out of words with this mess. What are you talking about? They're the hottest team in the league right now. Well <laughs> on their way to get that number one overall pick, man, if it worked uh, that way in the NBA as it did in the NFL. But they're going to have a chance, maybe the best chance out of anybody once they hit that lottery. 10-33, and 33, I think they are right now. Losers of 10 straight, 15 of 16. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, man. It, it, it depresses me. It makes me mad. I'm angry about the situation. But I'm also kind of encouraged in that you know what? If there wasn't that guy named Victor Wimbanyama out there, then I'd be a lot more mad. But when you 14%, have 14%, 14%. Yeah. Yeah. Was it 14.62594% or whatever the actual chances are that the <laughs> Rockets can get that guy? If he didn't exist, like I would be a lot more angry about the situation that I am right now. But I mean, I, I've said this to you before. I'm kind of drawing comparisons to that of the Rockets versus the Texans, what their real mode, what their real goal here is in this whole thing, and also how it's hindering the growth of the young talent that already exists on the roster. That's the, that's the sad part. I mean, it's basketball. It should be a little bit different. It should be looking a lot different. It should be a lot more exciting than it actually is. You see the individual talent displayed by, you know, Jalen Green, KPJ, Jabari, all just top to bottom. I mean, they can be really exciting, really fun to watch at times. And then it's just the ineptitude. And I, I think the fact that we spoke on this last week, the good cop, bad cop thing, and it the heat cannot get much hotter right now, and rightfully so for Steven Silas. He's got this thing just an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, this thing is cooking. Can you believe Tillman Fertitta is sitting on his hands right now? You see what he what he did over at U of H. I, I, that's I the know. real shocking thing. I, I, I get it, but that's where I kind of draw that Texans comparison. You know, this they're going to get accomplished what they deem most valuable and necessary for this organization, and that is to put themselves in position to get the very best pick in the 2023 draft. That's but, what I believe. But I guess the thing is, again, I just can't say this enough. There is an 86% chance you don't get that guy. And you it. are committing yourself to the non-development of two top three picks. I understand that. Um, I, I'm totally with you. There's always, you know, uh, risk-reward. And in this case, with the way that the NBA draft is structured, the risk certainly far outweighs the potential of the reward going in. However, you know, I, I think there's so many things that could be done to ensure that you do get that guy. Like, what are they, what are they willing to give up? You know, I think they just want a shot. They just want a shot. Um, are there trades? Is there draft capital? the considerations that they well, can make. No, no, no. This is, it's over. Whoever gets Victor Wambayana is keeping him. If they're trading anybody, that team, they're trading somebody already on their roster that they're like, we don't need him anymore. We Maybe, got Victor Wambayana. You, I, I think you just want a shot and you want to have the, the conversation if in fact you're not number one overall. You know what I'm saying? And, I, I maybe there's another guy or guys out there that they deem, um, you know, worthy. Um, maybe it's just, hey, you know what? Get us the top five, and we'll kind of go from there. And then, and only then, are we ready to take that next step? But we know that Steven Silas and this staff is doing the best job um, that we want them to do, which is get us, you know, a top five selection. It, it, that's like the. You know, it sounds stupid, but that can only be the real logical explanation, right? Because you can't allow this type of uh, ineptitude um, on your watch for anything other than that. 
right? I mean, because Toman Fertitta, you mentioned a number of times, look what's happening at U of H. Look at the job that that staff has done, the growth, the development, the success, all of those things. You're talking about NBA franchise. Why wouldn't Toman want the exact same thing? He's been sold a bill of goods, and whether it's right or wrong, better or worse, like I think that's the plan that they're looking at right now. And if you're Tillman, it better work. Otherwise, there's going to be more jobs, you know, they're going to be lost other than Steven Silas and the staff. It could be Rafael Stone if, in fact, it doesn't work out the way that they think and hope it should. All right, let's move on to other things because I'm I'm exhausted by the Rockets at this point. A quick reminder to Growing subscribe and comment on YouTube, and it's the best way to support us. Listen to every show on your favorite podcast app. The Astros have a few real general manager candidates all of a sudden. And I want to go through those shortly. But before we get there, Sean, I was watching the NFL games this weekend. And frankly, really fun to see coaching and talent and speed and athleticism and aggressive play calling. You forget what it looks like. (laughs) Yeah, man. I can't. Every year I feel like we do this. Every year, wild card weekend, and you get into the divisional round, like you see something that you hadn't seen in a long time. Every single game was fantastic i mean i went into wild card weekend so confident and it ended up working out this way but not without sweating a little bit right that i was going to bet my life savings that the ravens without lamar jackson guaranteed to lose that game and then sure enough like they make you sweat through the whole darn thing I was going to bet my entire life savings that the Miami Dolphins are surely going to lose that game. And they make you sweat it out until the very end. I mean, it's it's the, some of the best football I think you ever see over the course of the last two or three years. I mean, last year was really incredible, difficult to top. And I don't think we will with everything that we saw between Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers in the first round last year. I mean, it was phenomenal football, even more so this year. I love it. I love the chess matches. I love the great catches. I mean, the tremendous defensive play that that Cincinnati Bengal defensive end uh, made uh, this weekend, the 95, 98-yard, you know, uh, touchdown run after the fumble by uh, uh, Huntley. That was was tremendous. I I love it. I love it. I'm looking forward to another great weekend. Really, hell, tonight, right? Tom Brady, is he going to do it? Does he have a playoff run in him? I can't wait to see that. I hope he does. All right. Yeah. Just so people know, we are recording this at two o'clock on Monday. And hopefully (laughs) you listen to this before tonight, uh, if I could get it up quick enough. But if not, that's what he means by tonight, as in Monday night. My bad. Um, uh, By the way, Joe Burrow, prayers for Joe Burrow, because he's lost three offensive linemen. And he's actually playing Max Sharping, which, uh, yeah, that's not good. Uh, Trey Lance. Uh, yeah, he was a, a, a second round pick of the Texans. Uh, Trey Lance, the third pick of the draft. The Niners traded three first round picks for him, Sean, and a third rounder as well to get him. But maybe the last pick of the entire draft is their future quarterback. Brock Purdy's been really good. Sean, why waste a pick in the first round, Texans, when we can get a Brock Purdy in the seventh round? Stetson Bennett. Right. You've seen all those comparisons out there. They both were the number 13, you know, um, I, that's the thing, man. It, if, if you're a good college quarterback, you know, and you got that drive, you got that will, you got that certain skill sets, you know, the throwing motion, the arm angle, you know, just, just some of those things that, you know, good coaches, you know, can kind of build off on. You get the will and the drive to get better. I mean, I, I don't see a reason why you have to be a first round, second round, third round pick. You know, and I know we've had some fourth round success stories over the years. Russell Wilson, probably none better than him. But I mean, I, I get it to a degree. But beyond a certain point, man, it appears it's after college, like, what happened to coaching? Like, I, I don't understand why this is so shocking to us. Like, why you can't get guys to continue to grow. You're talking about 21, 22, 23-year-old guys. Do you think that, hey, you kind of are what you are after college? And you're either good or mediocre or great in college, and that's who you're going to be in the NFL? Like, I just don't buy that. Like, it's just the business structure that the NFL is. It, it's not built to give these guys a lot of time it's you either have it or you don't or 
you know, this is maybe like a two-year thing. If it's a Bryce Young type, if it's a, a Trevor Lawrence, you know, who was not a Bryce Young really, but hey, you're either going to come in and do this thing and because of the organizational faults and structures and going through coaches and general managers and coordinators, you know, year two is when we should kind of see what the really what the real deal is. Maybe you're seeing that now with a guy like Trevor Lawrence, whereas a Bryce Young, hey, you probably two years and um, kind of get his feet wet in the NFL before you really start to see this guy take off. We saw it with Patrick Mahomes. I, I just don't understand, like, why guys, why people feel like you can't be coached at the NFL. You can be. It's just the willingness on behalf of the organization and those coaches, it's it, it's not simpatico. Um, so Brock Purdy doesn't really surprise me. I do think there's something to him being a system kind of a quarterback. And, you know, it's something we've kind of attached ourselves to over the years, right? 10, 15 years now with the Shanahan tree, you know, they, that, that structure, that scheme, you know, with, with the right guy can flourish. And maybe you're seeing exactly that in San Francisco with a Brock Purdy. But he's not Matt Schaub though. I mean, he's not just a, uh, he's not a big, you know, just sitting there in the pocket waiting to get hit Matt Schaub. This is a guy that was scrambling, making plays outside of the pocket. Uh, getting on the run system to a degree but you think a system because it is Kyle Shanahan but but he actually had to make some plays yeah he's had to make some plays he's he's athletic I mean he can run but I mean let's not forget what they asked Matt Schaub to do you know in the Shanahan system when Gary Kubiak was a head coach here Um, they ran a lot of bootleg you know naked bootleg and it was like, okay, well, this is Matt Schaub. Like, why are you doing that? But they trusted the system, and Schaub was pretty good in the system, if we're being honest with ourselves. Was he great? Did he leave a lot to be desired? Yeah, sure, no doubt about it. Um, I, I think this is kind of a perfect storm. It's a beautiful thing when you've got a, a smart, athletic quarterback that cannot just um, execute the system but also be I, – I, I don't want to use too strong of a word here, but, I mean, let's call it – kind of what it was this past weekend. It was pretty spectacular, right? I mean, the guy looked tremendous, and he's been looking like that for you know about a month now. Um, maybe that's what it is. Um, when you're an athlete, you know, uh, you might you might be flourishing in the system because of the system, but you're also kind of making your own name, and that's what Brock Purdy's doing, man. I mean, this guy's playing with a lot of piss and vinegar, a lot of confidence right now, and I love to see it. Anything else that you saw in the playoffs this weekend that, made you think about the Texans at all or where we are or what's going on? Dan Jones, you know, kind of hit me a little bit because I know there's, he has a lot of his detractors out there. Um, and Mike Kafka who looked great this weekend is going to be interviewed by the Texans at some point in the not too distant future. hundred percent that, you know, that, that whole, just, you know, Dan Jones, him as an individual, but, you know, the job that Brian Dable's done, um, Kafka with the offense and just how, how the team has kind of responded. You know, they started off really hot and then they went through their struggles and now they're playing some better football. Um, you know, just just the understanding that coaching matters, man, you know, that having the right guys in place and and maybe Brock Purdy, maybe Daniel Jones, maybe. Um, you know, those guys are some clear cut examples as to, OK, they may not be like uh, the hottest, sexiest name out of college. You know, um, you know, your prototypical first round, first overall selection kind of guy. But man, if you got the right coaches in the right situation um, and some players around them, good things can happen. You know, so if in fact the Texans don't get a Bryce Young, if in fact they don't like C.J. Stroud, and they know maybe C.J. Stroud doesn't like them, and they go in a different direction, and they build this team a different way and shock the world, shock the city like that, then, you know, I don't know. That's going to be a little bit frustrating at a time, but also understand this. You're going to have new coaching staff. You're going to have a head coach, somebody with new ideas, new leadership, new culture, new players, better players, more money to spend to retain the ones you do like and more money to spend to go get the ones that you do that are playing elsewhere. So, I feel pretty good about the situation, and you should whenever you watch the NFL playoffs, you know, kind of play out. And and teams do some special things that they're not anticipated to do, not expected to do, rather. Um, I, I think that kind of encompasses what we all want to believe and hope that the Texans could be just one year from now.
coaching, as it turns out, matters. And the Texans have interviewed three coaching candidates, Sean. They've got Lions OC Ben Johnson already done with, Eagles DC Jonathan Gannon, Eagles OC Shane Steichen, and they're scheduled to interview Sean Payton. What do you think about that, Sean? You could have to give up a major draft pick for Sean Payton. Is that worth doing? I mean, we could talk about that all you want to. I just don't think um, it's worthy of the conversation, to be quite honest with you. I mean, every year when teams interview um, coaches, it doesn't mean they're legitimate candidates for the job. It's also fact-finding missions. It's also just trying to get opinions of some of the brighter, smartest, more veteran minds out there, what they think of your organization, um, and, and try to use what maybe you take away from those interviews, their perceptions of the organization, how they would build things, how they could see things uh, transpiring over the course of a six-month or a uh, 12-month or an 18-month time span, their vision for the organization if, in playing in a hypothetical world, they were the head coach or they were the CEO of the organization, so to speak. So I think, yeah, you can you can learn a lot from interviewing Sean Payton. Do I think they're doing it because they believe he could be the next head coach of the organization? No. Do I think they're doing it because he wants to be the next head coach of this organization? No. I think it's literally a fact-finding mission, and it also – it does nothing more than just boost your credibility um, from an organizational standpoint that, hey, you know, for the first time in three off seasons, you're talking to um, the hottest candidates on the market. And there's a reason for that, because you're real about winning now. You're serious about it. You're serious about taking that next step. So I think that's what it really all comes down to. And it would have been a bigger story if, in fact, Sean Payton would not have accepted the interview. It'd be a bigger story if, in fact, um, John Gannon was like, eh, thanks, but no thanks. I know what you're kind of all about now. No, I, I think it, it says a lot about the Texans organizationally in the direction that they're headed, that Gannon would accept another interview and, and, and execute it. Um, and then not even that, but the reports that come out after the fact, I think it was uh, Dan Graziano from ESPN that had the story in regards to um, uh, an offensive coordinator that John Gannon would potentially bring along or at least has in mind if, in fact, he took the Texans' job. And that is another individual from that of the New England Patriots, who is their tight ends coach. The name slips my mind, but has a previous relationship with Nick Casario. Big surprise there. It shouldn't be because from your general manager to your head coach, they're going to hire the guys that they've worked with before, that they're most comfortable in, that they're most confident in, that they have relationships with, and that they want to build an organization together. So I'm encouraged by all of it, whether you you know, like the whole, ah, they're trying to make this Patriot South. I don't really think it's just that in a nutshell, but I think they got themselves a New England Patriot with strong relationships, strong ties. And we know that one hasn't worked out to this point with Jack Easterby doesn't mean the other ones won't either. Yeah, you concern me with that last statement. And I heard some of that exact same thing about this tight ends coach from the Patriots, because look, I mean, the Patriots assistant coaches right now have a terrible, terrible, terrible record doing anything outside of New England. This seems like it's all Bill Belichick. The offensive gurus, Josh McDaniel has basically destroyed Derek. Derek Carr is leaving after having one of his better years last year. What once he's under the Josh McDaniel umbrella? I mean, I, I am terrified of another Patriots assistant. And what Casario said in the press conference, remember, Sean, he specifically said, I need to listen to other people. Well, if that's the case, then bring it in an echo chamber for yourself. It's not good. Gannon is at least proven that he can be a defensive coordinator with the Eagles. But as we know, this is not just a coordinating position. You have to be a head coach and handle that. I mean, I look at what has been done with the with the Giants, okay, and Dayball. And Dayball, the question was, could he be a good head coach? There was, there was no question after watching what they did this year, uh, potentially the coach of the year in the NFL. Um, and, and, and people were wondering, oh, can he handle it? I'm not saying that it, that a Gannon can't handle it or any of these guys can't handle it, but I get concerned when it's like, well, Gannon went to John Carroll, so Casario wants a John Carroll guy because he went to John Carroll and he wants to get a tight ends coach that he went to John Carroll with. I'm like, uh, 
what? Yeah, and I mean, they're all fair concerns. Um, you know, but what I think Nick Casario meant when he'd said that, you know, he needs to listen to other people. He needs to utilize the uh, resources that had had already existed within the building. Um, you know, I'm not going to say I was encouraged by that because I was more discouraged before I was encouraged by that because this is year three. I mean, you should, the number one job um, that you have when you're coming into a new situation and uh, a new role, a new title um, for the first time is is to do just that. Utilize the personnel that's already kind of been there. You know, find out who can help you function um, at an optimum level the fastest, the best way. Who's going to be the most efficient for you? And I, it doesn't sound like he did that. And it sounds like it took him three years to figure out that, you know what? Yeah, trust isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes trust is a necessary thing. And it's probably something that he should have done more of, you know, two years ago when he'd first taken the job. But you can only excuse the dynamics um, and the unfortunate circumstances that were going on within the Texans at the time so much with Deshaun Watson and Jack Easterby and Bill O'Brien and just the weird dynamic that it was and having to deal with, you know, trades and making money right. A lot of GMs have those jobs to do, you know, I mean, the Texans employed one of the brightest minds for so many years in uh, uh, Josh Olson, you know, their capologist for so many years, who's no longer with the organization, um, you know, in serving that function. And they lost over the course of the last four, five, six years, some really good, bright football minds. And for a guy like Nick Casario, who's kind of started his way from the ground up and then worked in various different capacities, for him to say, like, I can do this on my own. I don't really need to trust anybody. Or, you know, I've got my guy or guys I can bring along with me. How's that worked out? So, yeah, you need to utilize the personnel to the best of your abilities. But just because of there's New England ties, it doesn't particularly bother me. What does bother me is the point that you made, like, oh, boy, here we go. Another assistant potentially, you know, that's not going to go. Uh, that's not going to work out when he goes somewhere else. Well, I know the track record is says as much for head coaches coming from a New England system. I'm not so sure about like the assistants, but at some point, like you do have to just trust those individual skill sets, those abilities to kind of do things. And it's not to say like, hey, you know what? Who doesn't want to go work for one of the more successful organizations in football? Okay, the New England Patriots, if you can get a job there and you can flourish in 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 that capacity, then why not? Like, who's not going to like that tree coming from a Bill Belichick? I mean, you can only reference the past so many times and somebody's going to break the mold. And if if, in fact, it's, you know, this tight end coach who's tied with Joe Gannon or John Gannon. Wait, is it Joe Gannon? Why am I? Why is his name? Yeah, it's, my it's, mind? it's John Gannon. But John I, Gannon, the yeah. thing is, the New England thing. Okay, but Tom Brady made everybody smell a little bit. But the deodorant to all of the New England Patriots over the last 20 years was Tom Brady. Yeah. And since then, like, you cannot you cannot do what New England's doing the last few years because they're not as good anymore. It's about a point. I get it. And his absence has maybe made him smell a little bit worse now in New England, right, with the what he's done in, in Tampa Bay, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Super Bowl. Um, multiple playoff appearances, you know, division titles. Um, he's still kind of doing what he does, and we'll see if he can continue that, um, you know, on this Monday night game. But uh, I, I just think, you know, look at the individual. Don't look at the system so much, you know. And, and this is where the interview process and trusting and utilizing the resources that you have at your disposal is really important, you know. I mean, do you trust that, John Gannon is the right guy to be a head coach. And if you do, then it's not just about somebody that can be a leader of men. There's a lot of those guys out there. I mean, you can find some really great high school coaches, some really great college guys to do that. No, it's also about talent evaluation. It's also about, you know, trusting your positional coaches to coach those guys that you've uh, spent countless hours evaluating if they can help your, 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 your team on the field. So, it's you're the CEO, you're the guy, the buck stops with you in terms of football stuff, winning football games, losing football games, developing talent, helping make massive 
franchise altering decisions in terms of draft and free agency. It all comes down to you. You're the guy that we're going to allow build this Ikea bookshelf that comes in a billion pieces. You got to do it and you got to do it the right way. Yeah, but here's the deal, though. He just said it. I need to expand who I'm listening to. I don't need a bunch of yes men around me. He just said it. I, I, Sean, you're going to be a yes guy. He just, he just said, I don't want to hear about him hiring another Patriots tight end guy and a guy that he's buddies with. You know what makes you good as a coach and as a general manager? Conflicting ideas. Somebody in the room to tell you, you know what? Let's, let's look at something else. Hold, hold that thought, you know, um, because look, there was a lot more that came from, um, and I, I went, you know, the media's, uh, uh, the Texans invite to the Houston media um, this past week to show us, you know, these team colors and you know, logo concepts and just the uniform changes that they're thinking of, the, 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 the rebrand, if you will. There's a lot more that came to that than just like the uniform crap. Um, team president, um, God, why am I, I always forget his first name. Grissom is his last name. Uh, do you know his first name? I'd really uh, like to get nah, that right. I mean, I, I want to talk about the, the uniform well, thing because here, let me ask you on. this. I, I just wanted to make a point before we get to the uniform thing, because it goes in line perfectly with what you're saying, what your argument against Nick Casario is. It comes down to the overall thought and the culture in that front office as it exists right now. And Grissom said something this past Monday night that I was really encouraged to hear somebody say. He hired the senior vice president of marketing and communications, um, Doug Vosick, who led the presentation on Monday. Very young, smart guy. You know, it's probably around my age, like 40, 41, 42 years old. Um, incredibly passionate about the rebrand of this and the look and the feel of the organization going forward. He got that job because he had this idea that he's putting into motion right now. And he has the backing of the entire Texans front office behind him. But Grissom said, you know what? I hired this guy because he made me uncomfortable. I hired this guy because he made me think. I hired this guy because he challenged me. Exactly. Okay, And I, I think that's very interesting because, yeah, do we want Nick Casario to have that same mentality? Don't we want Cal McNair and Hannah McNair and Janice McNair to have that same kind of mentality? Of course we do. But while Cal even admitted that night and has done so on a couple of different occasions now in terms of him being a traditionalist and very big on tradition. Well, he was credited by Grissom and by Vosick and by Hannah that night. And take it maybe with a grain of salt, if you will. But you can only operate with what you've um, been told, okay, and go from there. They said, hey, you know what? As much as Cal has not liked change or the idea of it, you know, for 20 years, what are we doing right now? We're changing. Well, it might be a product of the environment. Like, and you, you might be a victim of circumstance and be backed up against the corner and have no choice, but you're doing it. And so sometimes, you know, hard times um, make you make some difficult decisions and make you change in difficult and uncomfortable ways. People hate change, but he's had to do it. So I like that. And who's to say that Casario is not operating under the same sort of capacity now going forward. Yeah. And let me just talk about, you know, the last three guys that they're looking at uh, as far as interviews at this point, we mentioned Kafka. That's one. D'Amico Ryan's is two, which is great. You know, he's I think did every Texas fan's way? dream guy. And then the Rams assistant the coach Thomas um, Brown also. Did Did D'Amico accept the uh, the uh, interview? Like I know they requested it, but did he accept it? Because I, I thought report, he had reluctantly accepted it or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The last report that I remember seeing is that he was considering accepting it. So I don't know if that's been final. If if that's like going to happen, but. Again, if it does, it's just – it's like Sean Payton, right? I mean, D'Amico Ryans is, you know, no less of a cooler commodity candidate, you know, to co- be a head coach in this league than Sean Payton. Sean Payton just hadn't – he hadn't done it for a year. I mean, they both of those guys could go to any organization <clears throat> and be like, hey, I want to work here. And you'd be like, okay, <laughs> here, where do you – sign here. Okay, and so if D'Amico 
is accepting of the Texans interview request, that's another great look for the Texans. Is it a probability that he takes this job here? I don't think so. I think D'Amico's probably fourth or fifth on the totem pole of guys that would get this job. I think, you know, John Gannon's probably number one right now. I think uh, Ben Johnson's probably two. I think Steichen's maybe the third. Um, and then I, I, maybe, maybe, maybe D'Amico's fourth on that line. Maybe Peyton's like a dream fifth. <clears throat> but it, it'd be a great look for the Texans. Another good thing that happened to the Texans, not only are they getting some interviews with some, I, I think some good can we agree that they're good candidates, but C.J. Stroud finally declares for the draft. And this means, Sean, that there is a 100% chance, I'm going to say 100% chance that Texans fans are going to get upset if the Texans don't draft the quarterback because one of Browse or Stroud is going to be there at number two. Yeah. And obviously you hope it's Bryce some way, somehow. I don't know if people would rather see the Texans trade up to number one with the Bears to to make sure they nab Young there. Um, or um, they just hope, hey, maybe the Bears, they don't trade out of that spot. Historically, teams hadn't done it. And when they've done, it hadn't really worked out too well. Um, but maybe the Bears just stand pat. They get themselves Will Anderson or uh, Jalen Carter or somebody like that. Um, they go defense and they leave Bryce, you know, for the Texans at number two. That would be awesome, right? But if it is Stroud, one of the two is going to be available there. And if the Texans stand pat at number two, you have to feel really good about that. I mean, as as life was sucked out of you, you know, a week ago when the Texans, you know, won their last game and the Bears, um, you know, did what they were supposed to do against the Vikings and lost. You lost that number one overall pick. You felt terrible. I mean, you were mad. You were angry, frustrated. You felt probably as worse or as bad as you ever had about the Texans organization going why, forward. Why are you reminding me of all this? I was just getting over it finally, Sean, and now you're bringing well, it all up again. And, and, I got to tear you down to build you back up. And so, like, with <laughs> Jay Stroud declaring for the draft, um, you know, uh, on earlier today on Monday, that had to breathe a little bit of life back into you because I mean, you have you not expecting it though. I mean, is this a surprise? I, I mean, it's it, and sometimes, yeah, it's a little bit of surprise because stories circulate for a reason. Now I thought maybe the reason that over the course of the last 48, 72 hours, it was circulating that maybe uh, CJ Stroud was considering going back to Ohio state was because of NIL money. Well, why would he be considering that? Because there's a risk reward there. All right. You get a little bit more money for another year at Ohio state, but you're probably not going to go number one overall next year anyway, because Caleb Williams is coming out at USC. So your draft stock can't really do anything but go down at this point, because if you come back, you're now more susceptible to injury, affecting your future in the NFL, affecting draft status, maybe a little bit of money that, you know, you could call ballast out because you signed an NIL deal at Ohio State, whatever the case may be. You had all of these rumors, maybe his camp, you know, his agency, which is know rep, he's representation by Deshaun Watson's um you know agent David Mulligetta maybe that's kind of a vibe that they're worried about maybe that, that concerns me more than the stupid he's not coming out because if you're a quarterback and and they're saying you could be the number one pick in the draft or number two you're not getting better than that so, yeah, so I I don't understand why you wouldn't come out yeah well I mean I again like Maybe he knows, like, hey, if I come out, the Texans are going to grab me, and I don't want to play for them. You know, David doesn't vibe with them. I don't vibe with them. I don't like them as an organization. He goes total Eli Manning, and, <laughs> you know, uh, just don't want to play for that team. You don't want to put yourself into that position. But I, but, I, but I still believe that um, – by the way, can you you're, – you're a little – I'm getting some feedback a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I, I I still believe, though, that – like C.J. Stroud, if he doesn't come out or whatever, it, it, you could get you could get injured, and you could say, "Well, he's insured," and blah blah blah. But I mean, you're not going to be no one's no insurance company is going to give you three hundred million dollars, which is what you could be if you're getting it if you're a quarterback four or five years down the road mm -hmm. and you're any good. I mean, there's you're not getting that money back, and you might not be in you might not get a chance to play in the NFL. I mean, these guys never go back and I get it. There's the NIL money, blah, blah, blah. That's there. That wasn't there before. Yes. Okay. But the money is just way bigger. The endorsements I think are way bigger. 
all of that stuff is way bigger for being an NFL quarterback. And listen, this, this is why it's important that he comes out. It's not just that the Texans get two shots here at, at good quarterbacks potentially, but if the Texans are not interested in C.J. Stroud, this is something that, Sean, I don't think anybody thinks about, but if they're not interested in C.J. Stroud, somebody will be, and you're going to get some draft choices for that, that deal if you want to move back a little bit. And frankly, that's what I would, if the Texans do not want a quarterback at number two, they don't like anybody on the board, you, you got to move back. I, I frankly would draft one of these two guys or whoever, whichever one's available. Cause I just say, just keep drafting quarterbacks until you get one. Right. And these two guys both look like they can potentially be good. However, you know, the Texans should move back. If for some reason that don't just draft, well, we like the defensive end. No, there's, there's like a thousand teams behind you that want a quarterback and would trade up to get whichever guys on the board. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with uh, any of that thought process really. Um, <laughs> I, the Texans draft C.J. Stroud at number two. Um, I think about drafting another quarterback, you know, in the later rounds too. Do the fifth round or sixth round depends on you know what you feel like is available, what you've already kind of done to bolster your roster to that point. But if they don't draft C.J. Stroud or a quarterback, period, at number two, I'd still think about drafting a couple of quarterbacks later in the draft. You know, taking some flyers and creating some competition. Um, because I, I I don't think that Davis Mills is going to really be that guy uh, to give you the competition. And really, I don't even want to consider him um, going into 2023. You know, best of luck to him wherever he might land. But I'll just say this in regards to C.J. Stroud to kind of wrap this up. Not that he was considering going back to Ohio State, because he probably wasn't. The first theory that kind of popped into my head was, all right, well, let's take the last week into consideration what happened. C.J. Stroud played the best game he had all season long against the best opponent um, all season long, and it wasn't good enough. Lost to Stetson Bennett in Georgia. Played phenomenal. Did some things in that game to really make people scratch their head, ask some real questions like, hey, damn, you know, is this guy legitimately way better than we gave him credit for? This isn't just about a Bryce Young draft. It's C.J. Stroud, too. Yeah, okay, maybe he needed a little bit to bolster his conversation there. But what happened? Stetson Bennett won the game. Georgia blows the brakes off at TCU as they should have. And that was the conversation. How, how if I'm, if I'm uh, C.J. Stroud's representation, how can I get my guy back into the news? After the national championship, it was, hey, uh, by the way, C.J. Stroud hadn't actually declared for the draft yet. Okay. How can we optimize that? Let's create doubt. Let's leak some stuff. Let's say, hey, man, there's major UIL money, you know, or NIL money on the table here for this guy. If you're stupid enough, if you're stupid enough not to go into the draft on the high that he's going into the draft this year, coming off that Georgia game, I don't want you as a quarterback down the road. And by the way, if he's going to if he's going to come out next year, guess what? Caleb Williams, there's other guys that are ahead of him in the pecking order, for sure. That's what I'm saying. But it's all about to maybe drive conversation. Like, let's create doubt. Let's optimize the situation. Let's put our number one client back on the map and have people talking about him again. And read his statement. I mean, you know, what better way to come out than, you know, to say the things that he'd said. And we kind of know that about C.J. Stroud to begin with. He's God-fearing guy at first, you know, seems like a great human being and is all about ball. And, you know, he wanted to make this really, um, you know, at least seem like a real decision, you know, because team means so much to him. School means so much to him. Loyalty to a program means so much to him. What better qualities do you want out of a quarterback than those of that? Whatever. 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 I don't, I don't buy into you. If, Look, Sean, if you want to fall for all that crap, fine. I don't believe any of that. Falling for what? I'm not saying I'm falling for anything. I don't think you're hearing me. I'm not saying he was considering going back. I'm saying if you're his agency, you want to sell that. You want to optimize that. You want people talking. You want people, like, you want to create doubt in people's minds. Nobody's saying that he was considering going back, but I'm saying his moment was over. He had a great game. What's the point? What what are you proving with creating doubt? It's not changing anything where you get drafted. It it doesn't make a difference. Let me ask you something. 
What were people talking about the last two days? What were they talking about? They're talking about the NFL playoffs. <laughs> no. In relation to C.J. Stroud, what were they talking about? Oh, man, is he going to come back? Is, is he going to go to the draft? Like, what's going on? What, what made his what, mind what, up? What, what is that? What's that changed? I don't understand what you're saying, though. What does that change? People are talking about him. Nobody was talking about him once he lost. People talked about Stetson Bennett. People were talking about Georgia. People were talking about them blowing the brakes off of TCU. It put the it put the focus back on no, him. No, 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 no. In in the places where he could get drafted, I'm sure he is the talk. I'm sure he's the he's the talk here in Houston. He's the talk probably any of these teams, the Colts, the 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 number of teams that are, are in this draft, they're talking about him. That's the only those are the only things that matter if you're cj stroud that's it ultimately if you're cj stroud that's all you care about you want to go ball out for somebody but i'm saying as an agency they're worried about the look they're worried about you, the you, the, they're worried the, about they want they want people to talk about him because he can't make up his mind that's the that's the that's all this is that's the whole conversation of oh the guy's not sure yeah, i can't figure out i don't know if i want to play in the nfl or not maybe i just want to hang around here for another year oh, and and, and, see, and you're come on word well, you put words into his mouth, and I mean that's what happens, and you set yourself up for the statement that was released by him saying otherwise, you know, and it just makes him look better. And the whole while, for two straight days, you were talking about that that situation. I, that I wasn't. I oh, didn't man. care. I was just waiting for. I was just like, okay, whenever you decide to come out, you're, I know we will. Look, I I've mm -hmm. experienced this in sports a zillion times with NBA guys and NFL guys. Mm -hmm. They play around, and then they decide that they're going to come out. Because guess what? Money talks. The greenies talk. Yeah, but why do you? Why do they play around with that idea? I mean, if you're if the iron can't get hotter, but you're going to play around with it anyway, people are going to talk about you. People are going to talk about the situation, and you're going to come out. You're going to make your money. You're going to get drafted, of course. But when everybody just kind of assumes that, there's nothing really to talk about. You're not a topic of conversation. And that's all I'm saying is they made it a topic of conversation and you're talking about CJ Stroud for 48 hours when typically you would have directed your attention elsewhere. That's it. No, nobody's saying they were stealing headlines from the NFL playoffs in the super wild card weekend, but they were also talking about CJ Stroud. And you also were waiting on Monday for that statement to come out, that decision to come out at the deadline, which it did. And now it's done. Now it's a non-story. And now he just flows right into the regular shuffle of, you know, sports media and, and stuff like that until the next time, until he has to throw at a pro day, until he has to run, until he has to do this, that, or the other thing. And we get to see all these measurables. I mean, it's just all a cycle. And that's all I'm saying. If, if you're if you're an agency and you're representing one of the hottest clients coming out of college football, why aren't you going to optimize that? I understand it from that business sense. Just because the media is writing stories about you doesn't mean anybody's talking about it. And fans don't just because fans um, care wh wh who they draft. They're they're not stupid. They know these guys come. They're not, fans are like me. They know the guy's going to come out eventually. They're not they're not talking about it. They're not worried about it. I I just disagree. If they they can hope C.J. Stroud's people can hope that's what's going on. But frankly, no, nobody was. Nobody is. Nobody I talked to. Nobody's like, oh my god, C.J. Stroud. He's not going to come out. Oh my god. Oh my god. Nobody said that. I mean, if, if this no, was happening and, and if this is still happening and it's April, then you start panicking, but not now. No, I, again, I think we're just kind of talking semantics. I, I'm not saying that it was a legitimate concern or thought that he might not come out, but it became a story. It's a story <laughs> because they're writing about it because those they probably went to the media and wrote about it. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah. But guess what? Just Wait. because somebody's writing about it. It doesn't mean anybody cares. That's what I'm saying. Well, care, care or not care. Like you may think you know the outcome or not. Like we knew it was going to come out, right? But you're talking about it. I mean, it was a topic on talk radio. You know what I mean? For <laughs> for two days, like people were talking about it this morning. Just because that's, something's that's a talk, a, a topic on talk radio, like they, <laughs> whatever. Let, 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 let's go. Let's go on because. I, I don't even like, this is like 10 minutes more than I wanted to talk about CJ Stroud. Um, <laughs> because like I said, I don't care. Um, anyway, the, the Texans logo, you, you knew a, a little bit more about it or you know a little bit more about it than you did 
a few days ago, right? I think I can maybe clear some stuff up, like um, it, all the stuff on Twitter, you know, since last, what was it, last Monday, I guess, that we saw this stuff. And it, people are going crazy, like, oh, you know, yeah, they're going to bring, you know, the old oiler colors back. I mean, you know, they kind of infused some of that stuff with what they rolled out, you know, this past year with some of the swag, the hoodies, the shirts, the hats, you know, what's this weird looking H and all of that. And um, I'd say this, you know, on Monday night, <clears throat> it was a great presentation um, by Doug Vosick, who's their senior VP of marketing and communications. Um, he was hired, I want to say, last spring, and he got hired because of this idea per um, the Texans team president, uh, Mr. Grissom and Cal and Hannah McNair. Um, that's what they were talking about. You know, that's why they decided to give him the job. Hannah was like, yeah, we need to hire this guy. Um, because we need change, you know, we need to move forward and we need somebody to challenge us and make us feel uncomfortable. And so that was that he was a great presentation. I felt like I was on some sort of panel on like a committee that had to decide yay or nay, we're going to roll out this. Uh, you're, you're, for you're, there's too much, there's too much buildup, Sean. What, what do we know? What do we know? I got to find out. Come on, man. Well, you've seen this hat before. Right. You've seen the blue and the white version, like where yeah. the white is like a dark, deep steel blue and the H is a white. People are wearing those all over the place. You can get them in the team shops. So this is obviously an ode to Houston's past. And I will just tell you that this don't plan on seeing this ever again. OK, don't plan on seeing that ever again. Like maybe this is like a one of a kind. It's the idea. It's the concept of change. Will there be change? Yes. How drastic of a change? I don't know. They don't know. This is very exploratory. What they did show us is a timeline of events that have to occur, deadlines that they have to meet, um, and they're working feverishly to do so uh, between now and April of 2024. Well, what's April 2024? That is the day that they're going to roll out their new look, uniforms, colors, Maybe a, um, a not a logo change. This, that ain't going nowhere. That's going to be the logo. So people are freaking out about that. Don't worry about it. It ain't going anywhere. What it could possibly do, um, just everything that I've learned, is it could take a back seat. There could be something more that the Texans want to be known for as like an identifier. When you see the Texans, they don't want you to just see you know, this, they want they're, you to see maybe something like that. So they're, they're talking about the logo potentially being the whole helmet <clears throat> as like part of the helmet maybe, in the same way. The maybe, helmet, is. maybe something you see at midfield, maybe something you see in the end zones, they're exploring all of it. And the idea, I loved it. I wrote about it on sportsradio610.com. You can check it out. Find me on Twitter at Sean Bajani, Instagram, um, I put this out there. I, what impressed me the most was the idea and, um, the fact that they're having these conversations about it and why. So one of the things that they referenced during this presentation was they put all the major league baseball clubs up there. Well, there's 30 major league baseball clubs, 26 out of the 30 have an ode on their hats that they wear every single day, every single game to what? What's the most identifiable thing you see on a Major League Baseball hat every single day for every team, at least 26 of the 30? The city. They all represent the city. The L.A. for the Dodgers, the N.Y. for New York, the H with the star in the background for Houston, the C with the Cubs. You get the point, so on and so forth. The Texans want to be identified like that. They want an ode to the city, so they want to represent the heart, the hustle, what says H-Town, what says... You know, the culture, the food scene, um, you know, just the overall look, the feel, the vibe, the energy of the city, the the dedication, you know, Hurricane Harvey, the strength, Houston Strong, that vibe. That's what they want to encapsulate with this new concept. And if it can be colors, if it can be an H of some sort, you know, something a little bit more identifiable as opposed to a bull. That says what? When you see this, you say Texas, right? It's Texans, but you think Texas. 
well, what are you going to be able to see in the future that makes you think Houston? That's what they're kind of thinking. Um, and I don't think I said too much. It's just the idea. It's the concept. And I think that's why people, you know, Texan fans, the fan base, the city's going to be really proud, you know, come April of 2024, whenever they roll this new look out, whatever it entails. Are old oiler colors being considered? Sure. Duh. I'm not breaking any news. I'm not saying anything that I'm not supposed to. You're seeing these hats on the team website. Yeah, it's being considered. To what extent? Nobody knows. I'm going to just speak to that for just one second. Okay? The fact that anybody thinks that the Oilers' colors are coming back, if you've seen anything in the last 25 years, the real Houston Oilers are gone, but their owner is up in Tennessee and says, we're not giving up any of that. So the idea that the Titans would approve the because these teams all work in conjunction with each other, that they would approve the fact that the Texans are going to go to the Oilers colors the same as them in the same division is just ludicrous. That's number one. Number two, Texans fans talking about, you know, this the Texans looking bad. Number one, I don't think there's anything wrong with the logo. The logo is fine. Um Okay, maybe you can do something to a little bit structure it differently. But, Sean, you just said it's the logo is likely staying exactly how it is. Number two, the colors. I want to speak to that. What, the colors don't work for anybody? Red, white, and blue? Should we go ahead and get rid of the American flag? Because it's the same colors. I mean, we're not changing the American. Nobody's saying, like, man, those are ugly, the American flag colors. Let's get a new American flag. There's nothing wrong with the color. Again, winning. If you're winning, it doesn't matter. And as far as the uniform is concerned, you know, the uniform, oh, it's plain and whatever. You know what's plain? Every classic uniform in sports is pretty much plain. The only thing in sports that I think is kind of cool that's not plain is the Astros Tequila Sunrise. That should be, you know, we should be seeing a lot more out at Astros games as far as on the field, not in the stands, because we see plenty of it in the stands. But the, the classic uniforms, the ones that people love and everybody buys year in and year out, the Yankees, the Packers, the Steelers, it's you, you, or whatever sport you want to. It's classic, simple, straightforward. There's no looking yeah. like stupid Nike crap. You know what I mean? It's, the Nike uniforms that they do up in Oregon or whatever. You're, I mean, you're right. You're right. I mean, and the Texans haven't changed their uniforms since day one. It's been exactly the same. You know, they've had obviously color rush since the NFL started doing that. They've had alternate jerseys since the NFL started allowing teams to do that. What I learned is, um, you know, NFL teams are allowed up to four different uniforms, a home, away, an alternate, and a color rush. And NFL teams don't have to choose to do any of that. They can just have a home or an away. Um, and I think maybe they have to have like an alternate, but I, I'm not sure to what extent, um, a throwback. If in fact you do Texans don't have a throwback, their throwback is what they primarily wear. That is their uniform. What has changed over the years that probably most people don't realize is the blue in the Texans. I, I had no freaking clue. You know, the blues called deep steel blue. If you look at like the old original Texan logo, which they pulled up the other night, versus what they have now that blue is trended to be a little bit more lighter now than it was before before it was like almost a black blue like it looked black and so they've made it more lighter to emulate what you just said american flag texas flag that sort of thing um the logo again this ain't going anywhere that's gonna stay that's staying it just might not be the bam in your face as it is now, it might kind of take a back seat is all I'm saying. These are all things that are being considered and the conversations are being had. And there's nothing that they know that they didn't tell us the other night. Um, and you could one tell by the reactions of Hannah and Cal McNair during this presentation with Doug Vosick, that they were like, you know, taking sighs of relief, you know, when Vosick would say something like, yeah, you know, we're not married to this. Or we're not married to that. Or we're just talking about this. I mean, it was almost if they were in the uh, presentation for the very first time, which to be honest with you, might have been. Uh, I know some fans uh, have been made privy to like some changes, like, you know, your super fans, like Debbie the Texan, probably, or the Ultimate Warrior, or whoever, people like that, you know, um, they've been asked to, they've been solicited for their opinion on, on certain things. And this was no different. They were going to give the media a chance 
to do that. And it was, uh, hey, here's what we're thinking. What do you guys think? Ask questions, make statements. Let's have a conversation. So that's what last Monday was. And that's what made me most excited about it and made you feel like, boy, you really have a, a voice here. That's what they're trying to sell to the Texan fans. Yeah, winning's important and all that stuff. Sure. But for an organization that has been closed off from change, um, I, I think this is a, a pretty good step and a fun way to kind of get fans back in and feel involved and to have their voice heard. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, the, nothing about the uniforms is going to help this team on the field and the uniforms don't get cool until you're not a big old loser. So let's start with that. But uh, right. speaking of, speaking of losing um, a team that doesn't do a whole lot of it, the Astros, they actually have some general manager candidates and, let me just run through them real quick, Sean. And if you've got anything to comment afterwards, um, I'm going to start with Michael Hill, who was in the Marlins front office from 2002 to 2020, almost 20 years, held a bunch of positions, including GM. He's been connected to a bunch of teams, including the Angels, Mets, and Phillies. Spent the past few years working the, for Major League Baseball as a senior VP of on-field operations. Second candidate, Dana Brown, scouting director of the Nationals and a special assistant with the Blue Jays. He was a candidate to join the Mariners front office in the late uh, 2015 season, but didn't get it for the past four years. He's been with the Braves right now. He's their VP of scouting. Obviously, Braves, you know, that's a pretty good pedigree right there with what they're doing right now. Last guy, Bobby Evans, hired by the Giants in 94, worked his way up through various titles over the years, became their GM in 2015, right after they won their third title in five years. He lasted four years after that until he was reassigned in the organization. He interviewed for the Astros GM job when Crane hired Click a couple of years ago, also interviewed for the Angels GM job that year. Th these candidates, Sean, not really getting me too excited, really. There's nothing flashy about them, and these might not be the only guys. Yeah, nothing flashy about them. I mean, there's no reason you ever should have heard them before, right? I mean, they've been with various organizations in different capacities, so there's no reason to be excited about them. Like, nobody's charged with signing Aaron Judge or Mike Trout or this, that, or the other guy. Like, there's no superstar names or World Series teams, you know, attached to them. So there's no reason you should be excited. The thing, when you're in a position like the Astros are right now, operating without a general manager that – maybe should excite you um, from a business sense is that these are all guys that have been around baseball for a long time, long time. They know baseball. They know the structure. They know the front office. They know the workings of various different roles and capacities within clubs. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm excited about versus a former player that's kind of, you know, been a guy you can bounce an idea off of every once in a while, Jeff Bagwell, <laughs> you know, like he's a familiar face and somebody that you like to uh, listen to and watch in a broadcast booth, but nobody that you say, hmm, I want that guy to be my general manager because I recognize him and he had a lot of home runs once upon a time ago and he's in the Hall of Fame as a player, you know, like I want somebody that knows how to do the job that's kind of done the job in a roundabout way before that's helped other guys do the job. So, yeah, I mean, if, it's, if one... it's just interesting when you contrast it though, with what the Texans are doing when they're trying to find the young new hip guys <clears throat> from the, from the really up and coming organizations, whereas the giants, yeah, they, they've been mostly good for the last couple of decades, but you know, they're, they're not the young hip franchise. The Marlins definitely, there's nothing young and hip about the Marlins over the last 20 years. And, and that guy's been there forever. And so, you know, you just go, well, I'm a little surprised that maybe he didn't pick somebody from, for instance, the Orioles who have, you know, a little bit of buzz to them. They've got Mike Elias, the former Astros front office guy under Jeff Luno. You figured maybe there would be somebody in their front office. Uh, you know, I, I just, I was, that's maybe a little bit more of what I was expecting. That's the only surprise to me really. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, that's a good point. But, you know, a team like the Orioles, who maybe are what they are right now as a farm system and with a lot of young talent on the major league roster, and fortunately for them, hired in the, one of the most difficult divisions to navigate in the uh, AL East. And you can imagine the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Rays, you know, mixed in with them, the Blue Jays, never mind them, um, is that, well, they plucked their guys from us. 
they want to see a job through too, maybe, you know, it's, it's TBD. It's incomplete right now. Um, and so, yeah, like, Hey, you have an opportunity to come be the general manager, um, you know, with this organization, a team that just won the world series with promise of maybe one or two or three more in the future, like who knows, but it also, you know, I, I don't know how baseball people really think and work really just anybody in sports that have these higher roles that are charged with building and developing and um, creating front offices and ball clubs and evaluating talent. Like at what point do you say, Hey, you know what? I took this job and I want to see it through. I'm making a lot of money and I'm going to have my pick of the litter when it's all said and done, but I'm not done yet here. And maybe they like it there. Um, It has to be reciprocated. You know, maybe these three guys that you mentioned that are uh, candidates um, with the Astros right now, Maybe they're ready for that next step. Maybe they're ready and they feel like they've done everything they possibly could in those, you know, capacities that they've served in previously. I don't know. I just find it interesting that the Astros have been able to meander their way through an entire offseason to this point. Um, you know, sign a Brayu, bring back, bring back Michael Brantley, um, come to an agreement with, you know, six, seven guys in arbitration. They've still got Christian Javier and Kyle Tucker to work out. And they've done all that without a general manager who sat in all these arbitration hearings. You know, that's it was Backwell there was, you know, these two assistant general managers to a non general manager. Were they there? Did they work through all of this? Like was Jim Crane? How active was he in these arbitration meetings, these facts, these figures? How, how did that whole thing come about? Because that's really the job, right? Now, to this point. Never mind, you know, managing a farm system and the day in and day out process, the conversations, the work that it's going to take and talking with scouts and managers and coaches and players at those levels. No, it's this fresh off of the World Series and you got to sign people and you have to agree to arbitration and all of this stuff, the business, the, the financials of it. They did it all without a general manager and with Jeff Bagwell and Jim Crane and two assistant general managers at the helm right now. When do you actually need a general manager if you haven't needed one to this point? It doesn't seem like Jim Crane is increasing his need or want for one, but maybe something like, hey, I can carry the workload this offseason and then we can kind of ease you in to what we like to do or wink, nod, how I like to do things during the season. That seems like it's the the route that we're going here. So how consequential is an actual general manager? I kind of believe that they just want somebody to be able to talk to the media when the season gets rolling and that Jim Crane's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Well, let's wrap it up. Maybe one of these next couple of weeks, we're going to have an actual general manager to talk about and a Texans coach and maybe some changes will be made. Hopefully a Rockets coach, maybe a new Rockets coach, please, please, please. What's the um, deadline? What's the deadline on a Texan? I mean, on a Texans coach? What do you think? Like in your mind, like when do you want to see one by? Like when do you need finality there? Well, it just depends on when they're going to be able to interview some of these guys because you got to do that first before you can. Because some of these guys are still playing, and when is that going to happen? And I, I, they might not have to name anybody until some of their seasons end, like the Eagles season, for example. Yeah, I mean, Steichen's already interviewed. You know, I mean, um, who could you, who do you need to interview that hasn't been willing to interview to this point? You know, my my point is if say they like Jonathan Gannon mm-hmm. and they, they know he he's not likely going to take another job uh, in the next couple of weeks, maybe he will, I don't know, but you got a little bit of extra time because, you know, he's, he's not going to be focusing on much of anything else except playing playing uh the next playoff game for the eagles or you know coaching the next playoff game for the eagles so you know you you might go okay well let me throw in another guy or two to talk to just in case you know just let's we got we got some time let's do it yeah and they've only been virtual to this point too so like if you're if they're still playing like you can't do in person until they're done coaching or whatever um so yeah i mean i guess you do have a little bit of time and i i want it to be as thorough as possible too i i just I don't think there needs to be any rush, really, but I think the anticipation is probably killing a lot of people. And you, well, you kind of want that guy. The, what's different than last year, though, is you don't have a ton of coaching vacancies, so it's not like the Texans 
like before, we're fighting against teams and there was an urgency or yeah. this team might hire him or that team might hire. There's only a few teams here. And that that that's a big difference from last year. Yeah, no, good point. Good point. I just want the right guy. They need the right guy, the right system in place uh, to, to go forward. And CJ Stroud is that quarterback face of the franchise that we'll have here in the next four months. So be it. I'm ready to roll with it. All right. This was a long one. We'll probably do a quicker one on Thursday, but uh, good to talk with you, Sean. Let's do it again. And we had a lot to catch up on, man. Always fun. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.